Well, as we've been mentioning today, it was a big day. You know, you don't get a chance. Obviously, as the old saying goes, you never get a second chance to make first impressions. And today, uh, King Charles III, it was his first full day as monarch. He delivered his first address to the uh, population today, 6 p.m., a nine-minute address to uh, to the British people, to everyone, to the Commonwealth as well, to us at 6 p.m. local time. Um, he vows to carry on the Queen's lifelong service or dedication to lifelong service. He acknowledged that the country, though, that he inherits is vastly different from the one that his mother inherited at the age of 25 back in 1952. When the Queen came to the throne, Britain and the world were still coping with the privations and aftermath of the Second World War and still living by the conventions of earlier times. In the course of the last 70 years, we have seen our society become one of many cultures and many faiths. Now, one of the ways that Charles, who is 73, by the way, he's the oldest person to take the British throne. One of the ways that he has over the past, the whole family has over the past 10 years or so, tried to reach out to a broader section of the population is through the kids. It's really through Prince William and Kate. And today, um, he announced, King Charles, that Prince William would succeed him as Prince of Wales, Catherine becoming the Princess of Wales, the first to carry that title since Diana. With Catherine beside him, our new Prince and Princess of Wales will, I know, continue to inspire and lead our national conversations, helping to bring the marginal to the centre ground, where vital help can be given. I want also to express my love for Harry and Meghan as they continue to build their lives overseas. He also said something quite interesting. You know, way back when um, Queen Elizabeth and then Princess Elizabeth spoke of devoting uh, her life really to this service, to this calling, a devotion to lifelong service, she called it. He also spoke of it today, a hint perhaps that he will not be passing Uh, his title on to his son. Queen Elizabeth was a life well lived, a promise with destiny kept, and she is mourned most deeply in her passing. That promise of lifelong service I renew to all today. And by that I mean that he will not be handing the monarchy over to his son before he passes away. There's been a lot of speculation about that over the years. Still, again, at 73, he watches over a nation in turmoil. The impact of the departure from the European Union, known as Brexit, continues to divide the country. A new prime minister just took over this past week after scandals forced Boris Johnson to resign. A recession looms. Inflation is high. Britons are bracing for a winter of sky-high utility prices on top of it all. So, There is a lot on his plate, and in the absence of the Queen, will a new king be able to find his footing quickly? Joining me now with more on that from London is Tom Rockman. He's a Canadian-British author based in England, whose novels include The Imperfectionists and the upcoming The Imposters. Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me on, Ben. It's just the mood. It came as a bit of a, you know, I, I think everyone was understood that at 96, perhaps, obviously her days were not eternal, uh, but at the same time, it all happened very quick. And it must have been a shock. Yeah, I, I think that's right. It did happen both um, slowly and all of a sudden, you know, that that she had been notably weakening over the past year or two and engaging in fewer 
public activities. So it was clear that that she wasn't her old self. And as you noted, at age 96, it would have been beyond miraculous if she had been. She actually was quite remarkably persisting with some of her regular duties and some of her passions as well, uh, up until pretty near the end. You know, she, she was, uh, I know that last week I heard she was actually talking to one of her horse trainers about what they should do with an upcoming race and things like that. So she, she continued to be um, intellectually uh, alert and lively, um, but her body was failing her, and that was that was progressively clear. And then once news came through um, yesterday, it was it was clear. I mean, the, the palace tends not to give out uh, any information that it doesn't wish to, and it typically doesn't talk about the health of of anybody in the royal family unless unless it's something that they they have to address directly. Um, in this case. The, the thing that really caught everybody's attention was that the family was gathering around her. And that obviously was a message that something was very different this time. And, um, and you know, uh, one can imagine that she drifted off quite swiftly and peacefully in the end. Yeah, I, I still, though, I get the sense that in, in England, at least in London, that it was it was met with a sort of sense of, of shock and disbelief. Yeah, that's I mean, the the. I don't think disbelief, but I think that certainly there was there was sort of shock that it's a different era for many people that that um, just that, that there's a certain sense of permanence about the Queen. If you are any less than than, you know, let's say 75 years old, uh, then she is the only person who you've ever known as the the monarch she served 70 years and um and she she feels uh, not so much like a monarch actually just as a um a, a part of nature almost and i think that one of the most startling things for many people that they've talked about is how odd it feels to talk about king charles iii and um and to know that there are so many consequent things that are going to change that just don't quite roll off the tongue and you start it actually does tend to, I think, um, drive people to consider a little bit more the institution itself and what she, not just what she has meant, which is, of course is the focus right now, but also what the institution means when um, you just in the past, her, her, it was, everything was her majesty, this, that, and now it's his majesty. And that, that forces you to ask whether that makes sense and why we still have that system. Yeah, I I was uh, I watched his speech today or his address. Obviously, I mean, you know, he's going to be the oldest person to ever ascend the throne. What is the sense there of of what kind of king he will be? Well, I think that he's he's lived a a, a peculiar life, to to put it mildly. Um, he has been, I think, when he. I mean, I, I lived in in London when I was a little boy, and then I moved to Vancouver when I was seven. But I remember before the age of seven, I remember in that whole period when he was he was about to get married to Lady Di. And at that stage, he, at least in my childhood boyhood eyes, he seemed a sort of um, a heroic princely figure to be admired. And it was only, I think, really in the years of the divorce and the, the familial problem, marital problems with Diana, that everything changed quite dramatically. And the tabloid newspapers here have a, a lot to answer for in that regard, because they were pretty savagely cruel in their in their characterization of him. And that's not to say that 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 his behavior was blameless and everything, but it is to say that that many marriages are difficult and not all of them are are picked apart in public like that so um he gradually assumed this this public image of being rather a, a sort of snooty bore with all sorts of strange 
predilections and preferences and interests from um, hating new architecture to being obsessed with this sort of um, non-traditional medicinal cures and having organic farming. Now, in certain of those areas, he's interestingly sort of been proven to uh, to have some uh, have been a bit ahead of the curve, particularly in environmental issues very concerned about that uh, long in the past but he he developed over time the reputation as a bit of a crank and and to use a more contemporary term he was not relatable so right. oddly enough the queen was relatable to people and that i think that that her um her staying in britain and staying in in windsor castle during the blitz and all of that really made um her to many people feel like she was uh, she was part of their larger family, not quite a family member, but that she was somebody that they could sort of relate to, despite being a kind of a different uh, character than everybody else. Um, so in terms of how he would actually lead the country, I think that what he's asserting from the outset is continuity. And um, he is he said in that address that that um, came on the television here at uh, 6 p.m. in the evening and uh, was a what you would expect was a, a sort of somber um, and solemn address. But there's an interesting note that I've that I've detected in the way that he speaks in public, which is that he's a little more personal and a little more emotionally open than I think people expect him to be sometimes. So um, toward the end of his his relatively brief address, he spoke directly to what he called darling mama. Mm-hmm. And he said, as you begin your last great journey to join my dear late papa, I want simply to say this. Thank you. And he's he's he's, I think, showing and exposing himself a little more as an more of a of a grandfatherly um, loving uh, character. He also sent his love to to Meghan and Harry, who um, who were beginning or not beginning are mm-hmm. are spending their these years abroad establishing a life there so i think that um he will try as much as possible to embody what he believes she embodied um but also i think to perhaps soften his image and i think already he may be having success in a way the fact that he had been set up for literally decades to be this awful king and this awful guy i think that that in the end he can't but outperform it and he's not a 50 year old stuffy man who's taking power he's now an elderly man is 73 and i think that people will have a certain amount of sympathy for him um, in that regard and um, certainly when he turned up today at buckingham palace having come down from balmoral castle where the queen died which is um, one of her castles it's just west of aberdeen in scotland and mm-hmm. he made his way down and arrived in a fancy black shiny sedan um, in front of buckingham palace where there was a massive uh, group of people you can imagine several thousand and he stepped out and greeted many of those people and as he stepped out the cry that went up was god save the king so first of all it's a little odd to hear that after so many decades of god save the queen but it was interesting that that um, that there was there is at least some sentiment, not just that they're mourning the monarch who passed, but that there is some wish among at least among those enthused there to 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 make the to make him uh, their the new focus of their national identity to some degree.
My guest is Tom Rackman. He's a Canadian-British author based in England. His novels include The Imperfectionist, which you may know. His upcoming novel is The Imposters. We're speaking tonight about uh, the death of the Queen, of course, and uh, King Charles III. He's making his first real public appearances today and address to the nation uh, right at 6 p.m. Uh, in, in England, right at supper time. He stepped out of his vehicle today at Buckingham Palace as well when he arrived from Balmoral in Scotland, where he'd been by his mother's side, um, and also greeted the crowd, stopped to read tributes on bouquets that have been left of the many many that have been left and uh, we're getting a, a bit of an early sense of what he's going to try to be like at least his public image is king uh, but tom you've written about this a lot recently this is a tough time for for britain um you know we over here obviously we read about skyrocketing utility bills you know a government falling a new prime minister coming in that not everyone likes that much um what kind of impact do you think the death of the queen will have on britain as we know it well, uh, for me, the, the question is, how much did the presence of the Queen help the spirit of Britannia over the past five years? Um, the, you do read many pieces saying that, that people worry about what comes next. And perhaps they could be right to worry because perhaps uh, it, it could represent a, some sort of a dissolution of, of national spirit in some unforeseen terrible way. The truth is that Britain has been profoundly divided since the lead up to the Brexit vote in June of 2016. And it has not ceased to be a divided nation and a pretty miserable nation in decline since that point. Uh, I, I don't see that her presence was a was was a salve to that very greatly. Aside from anything else, she wasn't really allowed to ever say anything one way or the other about what she felt about any of this, despite claims in Brexit supporting publications that she was, you know, slyly on the side of Brexit. But who really ever knew? The point is, is that that she she didn't make the country better back then. Uh, whether her absence could make it worse, that's possible. When you look at um, at King Charles, uh, and we were speaking about this, I mean, certainly he, he has a, a bigger propensity for getting involved in things. But you suspect that given the circumstances and what will no doubt be a relatively short reign just because he'll probably follow in his mom's footsteps, don't you think, and just stay out of stay out of trouble, one would imagine? I think it would be pretty startling if he didn't. Um, but at the same time, I think that he's governing at a very different period than his mother was without without some of the deference for elites such as him that that she would have enjoyed um and there's no real you know as much as he's spent all these decades preparing there's also not quite a way to know what kind of monarch you should be because that's determined by the time that you're in and in fact um i think that uh, prince william once made a remark on this he said something like he was asked whether when spending time with the Queen, if they spoke about what it's like to be to do that job. And he said, you know, not really, because it's all de de determined by, by what you what is happening then. And you are the, the monarch for your period. And I think that um, he will have to figure out quite what that amounts to. But one part of it is that in the Queen's time, she was able to um, to sidestep. Uh, major issues of the day. And I think that the with many of the cultural changes of, of our own times, 
it's much harder for people in prominent positions to just stay out of it, to not say anything, because that's often taken as a stance that if you if you do support, if you, let's say you say nothing about Black Lives Matter, or you do say something, that obviously has a hugely different impact on how you're going to be viewed. And you can't just say, well, listen, I'm not going to say anything about anything ever. So I think that he will come under a certain degree of pressure to actually get involved more than she was, that that deference won't be afforded to him, I would suspect. How he navigates that um, might just be by trying to be as bland and pleasant as, as he possibly can. Which will be difficult for him, I think. I mean, I've met, I've met King Charles, and uh, he is a man of opinions. Yeah, I'd love to hear what those were. But... <laughs> it was about the war in Ukraine. This goes back a while, but you know, mm-hmm. he was not afraid to speak his mind. Um, and I, I, it's going to be interesting to watch. I guess, I guess, what we may see is that the country will unite for a time to mourn the loss of the Queen. I think as well that that um, I don't think anybody would say that the Queen had no opinions. Mm-hmm. It was that she was very, very guarded in ever expressing them, and very uh, clever in not um, revealing quite what she felt. Uh, so I think that one of the things that, that comes out with these um, endless hours of, of people on the radio and television talking about their reminiscences of the Queen is that she had a sense of humor and she did have she had a great deal of knowledge about many different subjects and obviously broad international experience. So she did have views, but she was careful about not saying them. And I think that um, when King Charles was the Prince of Wales, I think that that he was not just a, a younger man, um, but also he didn't yet have that that um, kingly role. So it was it, it is I think it is permitted a little more to to speak out here and there. It's right. just that it makes people nervous. So what do you foresee then for the next ten days or so? I mean, this time of mourning for Britain. What do you expect the mood will be like? What do you expect uh, Britain will look like when it emerges from it? Well, I think that it's going to be overwhelmed by ceremony. Lots of things have been cancelled and um, people will stream down to view her when she, when her body is lying in state. On Wednesday, the coffin will be carried by carriage from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Hall, which is a, I think it's the oldest building in the parliament. And she'll lie in state there and they're predicting um, many thousands. I mean, I would say that it'll, who, who will file past to pay their respects. Uh, over five days, I would say it'll be hundreds of thousands. I mean, I think it'll be a vast, vast number of people who will go in and out. And I think that that will, that's five days. So I think that um, that will take up a lot of people's attention and time. Then we'll have, of course, the, the, the funeral itself and heads of state and foreign royals will all be flocking here for that. So I think that for the, for, for at least 10 days, it's going to be overwhelming, overwhelmingly ceremonial. We will all be very clear on everything that she did and accomplished, and there will be um, a great deal of, of glowing sentiment about her. Uh, the, the question of, of after is, is also, I think the thing that everybody is, is looking at and trying to speculate on now. And that's obviously the hardest part of all, because if you are saying that she was this immensely consequential figure who really represented the nation, who held the nation together, then you're implying that maybe the nation falls apart afterwards. Tom Rackman, thank you so much. Thank you.